you just wanted to speak to the speaker. But the theme today is let's keep the theme the theme. So there's a side after this that we'll learn a little bit about our journey for those of you who will come in regards to what God is doing within the nation, with the Māori people, with every ethnicity, for God is a respecter of none but lover of all. Thank him for that. Let's, let's give our time to the Father. Father, we just ask, Lord God, that you be preeminent in this day, Lord God. That, Father God, that this day you have made, you have made with purpose in mind, Father God, that across the nations, Lord God, that we would gather and praise your name. And Father God, as we share your word this morning, we share testimony, Lord God. We pray none but Jesus be seen in this place. And we pray also, Father God, for the hearts of the people, Lord God, may be acceptable and pliable this morning. Father God, let none be seen but Jesus this morning. In your precious name, Jesus. Amen. Oh, he got the privilege. Atena tato. Ko waiau e tuake nei mua i a koutou, ko hiraina tōku ingoa, Ko takitimu te waka, ko maumaukai te maunga, ko nuhaka te awa, ko ngāti kahununu te iwi. Um, ko wai te ariki, ki roto i āhau, ko ihu kraiti. Um, as my husband has spoken, yeah, we want to keep to the to the kaupapa, as we would say it. Kaupapa means to the, to the purpose. Um, and I make no apologies for my language. Because I believe God is a God of all nations, all languages, all tongues. Um, but this just happens to be our land, the land that God has given us as a people, uh, Māori. Um, and I, I hail from a beautiful place called the East Coast, the East Coast of New Zealand. If you haven't been there, you need to get there. Um, the place that I come from is a place called Te Mahia. And just listening in between conversations and things that have been spoken already, um, I just want to share a story about my whakapapa. Whakapapa is genealogy. For generations in our nation, whakapapa has been taken from us. Everything that makes us who we are as Māori and who God created us to be has been taken from us. So the story of of my ancestors and of my whakapapa, whakapapa is actually very, very important to God. It's in the Bible. If you look to the, word, look to the book of Matthew, it starts off with genealogy, right? So I want to share a story about my ancestors. So I, st- I stand here not on my own. I stand on the shoulders of my ancestors. So I come from a long line of chiefs. And there was a man by the name of Toidor. Some of you might know this story. Toidor was a prophet. And he hailed, he walked all along the east coast before the arrival of Māori to Aotearoa. God called our people, just like Moses. He led our people by a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. The living evidence? Toidor came to the east coast. He declared a prophecy. The prophecy was, Ko te ingoa tawhito tama i rorokutia. The prophecy goes on. But the, the guts of what the prophecy spoke about was that there is a God who is coming. He has a son. His son died, but he rose to life again. This is before the pre-arrival of European and colonization into our nation. This prophet 
was called of God. He was led by the Spirit of God. Just like the Spirit of God, you don't know where the Spirit, where the wind comes from. So it is with the Spirit of God. So this man declared a prophecy over the East Coast that literally thundered through the earth. Wherever I go in a different uh, rohe, which is like another region, um, I always take my shoes off so I can feel the land, so I can hear what the land is saying. You know, the Bible also is clear that God hears the cries of the land. So when this prophecy was declared over the East Coast, it literally thundered through the East Coast, bringing 35,000 Māori native to the knowledge of Jesus Christ. The evidence will get there. Henry Williams comes along, and he's sent out by those that are in command over him to go around every bit of New Zealand from the top to the east coast to the west coast to the south to get chiefs to sign the treaty. We all know what the treaty is. Upon arrival to the east coast, he's astounded. You can go and look up the evidence yourself. He's written it in his accounts. So when he arrives to the east coast, he's astounded. How is it possible that 35,000 natives know Jesus Christ? The gospel was already here before the arrival of European, before the arrival of missionaries. How did it come? By way of the Spirit. We can't control what the Spirit of God is doing. I'm living proof that from a long line of chiefs and and my ancestors before me, that the gospel existed in our land before then. The other part I wanted to touch on too, just really briefly, is uh, a little bit about the oppression and the state of our people, Māori. Highest statistics in the country. Highest prison rate, Māori. Highest rate of suicide, Māori. Highest teen pregnancy, Māori. Before I was called by, by Jesus in 2000, I was just another statistic. I lived in a violent relationship. I was pregnant at the age of 13. Ten, chi- ten children later, I'm still married to the same man. Nearly 30 years ago, life was, I knew what darkness was. You know, the Bible says, how deep is that darkness? I'm reminded of of a king, King David. He knew what it was like to be pursued, even though he was anointed a king. 
he had to learn to live under the situation before God rose him above the situation. Now, our testimony is a test. And the sacrifices that we make, there's a cost to following Jesus. I was raised in a neighborhood just like Purirua. I was raised in the heart of South Auckland, Ōtara. I lived on the streets most of my life. I was a constant runaway. I was a ward of the state. No one wanted me. I was rejected, despised by all men and family. Life didn't just, you know, life didn't seem to look like it was going to get any better. So at the brink of breaking point, mother with seven children, five under the age of five, no mother to mother me, to help me. It was right through my family. where there seemed to be no hope. There was curses spoken over our lives that would never eventuate into anything. I'd never become anything. So at the point of breaking point, I was going through all this stuff and all this oppression. I felt the weight of my people and the oppression that we were put under for 150, 60 years, however long. I decided to take my life. And what happened next was, it was kind of like a Paul moment. I didn't know anything about the Bible. I wasn't raised in a Christian home. Then this light came. Out of the darkness into his wonderful light. Just like Paul on the road to Damascus, I thought I was in for another agenda. God had another plan. You know, Jesus is in the business of interrupting our plans. He was constantly interrupted. If you read through the Gospels, Jesus was constantly interrupted. He was there for another purpose, but someone always interrupted him. Lord, my daughter needs healing. Carry on with the same kaupapa. So this day, the Lord intercepted in my life. I didn't know at the time, but I must have cried out to this God. You know, if there's nobody here that can help me and hear me, if you're real, you've got to come in right now. At the point of my conversion, I was delivered. I was a, a constant pot smoker. You know, I was dealing in pee, methamphetamine, everything you, vile you could think of. That's all I knew. That's all I knew as survival. But the Lord intervened in my life at that moment. It's always a heart-touching time when, when I think back to that moment, the moment of conversion. And then everything seemed to change from then on. I had this new stride. I had this this joy that I've never experienced before. So I decided, I rang my husband straight away. At the moment of conversion, the Lord spoke audibly to me. He said, forgive, forgive as I have forgiven you. 
I didn't know what this word forgive me. But it was like, like honey running down the beard of Aaron. It was so sweet to, to my ears and sweet to my soul and sweet to my spirit. So I rang my husband at this stage. Bearing in mind there was so much violence in our home. I, I don't like speaking about that stuff, but there was just so much violence in our home. I think every bone in my body has been broken. So I rang my husband. Because at the point when the Lord spoke, forgive as I have forgiven you, he brought all these people to my remembrance. So in front of me were all these people that I needed to forgive. Even though they'd hurt me, I needed to forgive them. And one by one, we worked through it. Me and Jesus, we worked through it. And he walked with me. And he talked with me. And I rang my husband. I said, you need to come home. Something's just happened. He knew there was something different about me. There was a tone in my voice. There was something different about me. Every other time, he'd just want to carry on with an argument. So reluctantly, he came home. And as soon as he opened the door and he looked up the stairwell, he knew there was something different. What's wrong with my wife? She's not the same anymore. She's not cursing at me. Every second word I spoke was whakarongo. But he knew that something had changed. I couldn't explain what had, cha- you know, what had happened in me. And then I told him about this story. He was like, oh, yeah, yeah I think you're, you're losing it, but yeah, okay. And things did. They automatically changed. I was delivered of drugs. I found myself, I was stoned, by the way, when I, was, when I had that encounter with Jesus. I was off my face, off my rock every minute of the day just to numb the pain, anything that would numb the pain that I was feeling. That was the first thing to go. 20 years later, I'm still free. I'm delivered on the spot. I haven't touched a drop. Alcohol haven't touched a drop. All of it. But if there's anything that I can leave with you all today is that there's no denying the love of God. There's no denying. It doesn't matter where you are or where you're at. God can meet you anywhere. He can meet you on a runway. He can meet you on a train. He can meet you on a boat. He can meet you in a plane. But he can meet you where you're at. If he can meet you in your brokenness, in your pain and in your hurt, he can meet you anywhere. The song we sung today, his love is relentless. It's relentless. God will continue to pursue you. I stuff up every day. But God continues to pursue me. And um, so I want to call my husband up. And this, you know, standing in front of people, <laughs> this is not my strength. This is not my strength. But God will use the weak things of the world to dumbfound the wise. And our weakness, his power shows up. 
let none be seen but the Lord Jesus Christ. Bless you, Fano. Hello, hello, bless you, Lord. So um, the wonderful thing about God, the Holy Spirit, if we rely on him, he'll speak through us because as my wife said that he will use the foolishness of man, our unknowing, our undoneness to bring about his glory. And so I've got a word prepared in here as we do as speakers, as preachers, as deliverers of the word of God, but I'm gonna follow on from my wife's testimony. I think it's important for... Um, Testimony in itself shows the goodness and the grace and the mercy of God, regardless of whatever your situation might be, might have been, might still be within the church building. And so this morning, this afternoon, this morning, that if we could focus on God's goodness and this word pursue come up, I think I've seen pursue, I might have seen pursue again, and pursue's been a big word for me this week. Will you pursue me, Stacey? Here I am. I'm wooing you. Will you pursue me? Will you come after me? So I'm going to share a little bit about my testimony as well. I became a born-again believer just a year after my wife in 2001. This is a couple of years ago. I had an incredible encounter in an old brethren church. My wife and I were the youngest by 60 years. <laughs> so um, we belonged to um, a church that, that, that had great value with the Word of God. They had great value with the teachings of God. They had great value with, with psalms and songs that we, that we don't see so much of nowadays the truth and the splendor of God's word within, those, within that old music will always be something dear to me. So although 60 years younger, we sat in a place where there was lots of wisdom with men and women, and we're certainly in need of that in this stage of our walk as a Christian body within our societies because our children are fatherless, our men uh, are needing, are needing the, the, the fellowship of the older men, likewise are the younger people, that we might teach them the ways of our Father and our God. Anyway, in 2001, I came a born-again believer, and we were in this church, and we were the youngest by 60 years, and there were incredible opportunities because we were the young people with lots of ideas, and there was a zeal and a passion, and so uh, Hirana and I found ourselves in um, lots of places, uh, preaching on street, streets all over the nation in different places, different conferences and stuff, but what I want to share with you guys today is that I'd done Christianity for 10 years, and it was a religious act. I thought I was serving my God by doing many things that were just works. You know, they were great works and I was doing stuff. But as my wife said, I was a violent man. I come from a, a background where my father was a gang leader. And not only a gang leader, he was the person that knocked on your door at one o'clock in the morning. And it wasn't for a cup of tea. So um, I was brought up in that environment. I knew what it was like to have 30 patch members wake up in the morning and they're all over the floor still drinking. And that was normal life for me. I didn't know any other life until I had come to the, the knowledge of Jesus Christ, that there was a better way. But unfortunately, these traits, they built me. I grew in that. That became my life as to who I would be as a person. And I took that into our relationship. She was 13, I was 15. We had 10 children, as she was saying, every year. Every 10 months, she was pregnant. Um, and so just the struggles and that alone were incredible. But coming, coming back to the testimony, um, Starting to understand, let's just say, although we had these incredible men and women within our lives, there was always two choices to do. Will you continue to, to pursue this, was this God, Stacy, or will you continue to pursue the things that you've always liked within the flesh? So 
I was doing all the church stuff right and I felt really good about myself. I thought God was a feeling because I was feeling really good and I never felt good before. And so we were doing church and on Tuesdays and Thursdays from every now and then they wouldn't see, the congregation didn't see that my fists were still going left and right with my wife. I was still, I was still verbally abusing my wife for years, for 10 years and I thought that was okay. 2010, um, my wife drew a line in the sand and um, I lost my wife, I lost my children, I lost everything that I had. And I can remember, just as a short testimony, I don't want to dwell on this dark stuff for too long, I certainly want to come back to the light, but for my testimony in 2010, I, I'd lost everything, had never been in such a low place before, I decided that I was going to end it. And so, Irina was fortunate enough that God intervened, but at this time, I, I was found by my son hanging in the garage. So, one of my sons, one of our 10 sons, one of our 10 children, he was to cut me down. I ended up in a ward 18, which is a sort of, not a mental institution, but a place for sick people. And so I can remember being in there and calling out to God and there was no answer for me. And it was a real scary place because all of a sudden, a person who's in control and is capable of doing stuff, I couldn't do anything. It was like a hole that I couldn't, I could see everyone out there, but I couldn't actually physically get out of it. Cut a long story short, I was in there for two weeks and I'd come out, I'd come out of this place and my wife said to me, she said, Stacy, I want you to come and stay at home, come back to the house. And I thought, hallelujah, the Lord's given my whanau back, I'm going to come back. But she says, remember that, um, that you'll always be the father of my children, I love you, but that's how we stand now. We are parents of these children. My mindset wasn't anywhere near that, I wanted my wife back. And so for the first time coming out, having a bit of happiness, there was such a such a downness within my feeling, my spirit was very low because all of a sudden this woman I've known all my life, she said, no, I'm, I'm on with life, now I'm going this way. We're parents, sure, but I'm living my life this way. You can come and join, but you're going to be going that way. But I remember getting on my hands and knees, and this is not just like an American movie as you see the big light coming through. I got on my hands and knees earnestly. And I said, Father God, did I not, did I not search you with all my heart and soul and do everything that I possibly could to pursue you? and everything that I had, and I cried, and this was about two hours. I mean, I was broken, a wreck, big man. Big physically, um, maybe spiritually very small, very small, but I was broken. And it wasn't an orbital voice as such, but I got within my spirit, man. God speaks to us in different ways, minds, pictures within my spirit, and it broke me again, and he said, Stacy, I've always wanted you. And from that very second, I broke like I'd never broke before, and mourned like I'd never mourned. I probably sounded like some sort of owl or more pork being terribly tortured out in the bush. But, but the simple fact was is that I had, I had come to know the saving grace of Jesus Christ. And I was just reading this morning in the book of Samuel, 1 Samuel, about the Amalekites and King Saul who was ordained to be the king of Israel at the time in the tribe of Judah by the prophet Samuel. Samuel, uh, the Lord spoke to Samuel and said to Saul, I want you to utterly destroy the Amalekites. They're, they're everything. They're, they're, they're children, sorry. The children, the husbands, the wives, all that stuff. It was, it was a directive straight to Saul. There was no compromise. And you'll find earlier on in the books in Deuteronomy why that was. Because they were warring at that time, the time when Moses was lifting the staff and back down. Anyway. Because he didn't in his disobedience not to obey that, God's anger found him finding another king, which would be an incredible king, a man after his own heart, which was David. 
of what I want to say to us today is that all of us have got Amalekites in our lives at some stage. I've had Amalekites for far too often. I find myself repenting even more and more. But I want to say in this day and age, the very thing that holds us back from the purposes of God that we might pursue him, not with just the head knowledge, but a 12-inch drop to the heart, and pursue him by Holy Spirit, is that the Amalekites are still fighting and holding on to us. Unless we cut off some of the Amalekites and get really real, we become great people having good services on Sundays. And I mean no, no disrespect to our churches. But we're living in a season, Fano. And I just want to make mention that there was a mention here of the First World War War 100 years ago. Two to three days ago, there was an incredible move of the Holy Spirit within our nation. And the Holy Spirit came with the power of God unto a man called Wudamu Tahu Portiki. He was celebrated on, on, on Saturday from the thousands across our land, Māori people. And but because the Amalekites haven't been utterly destroyed with my people, they followed the man and not the God of the man. But I stand today to say that if we would, in our lives, spiritually, physically, and mentally, look at our lives, what are the Amalekites, the, the back grabbers, those who are coming in from the side, to steal from us if we would allow God, Holy Spirit, to minister us, and we would pursue that of which God wants us to do, to cut that stuff off, there is no reason why the Holy Spirit won't fall on our nation again. Amen. There are signs and wonders in this within our, our nation at the moment, within Māori and Pākehā, the reconciliation that's happening, that are absolutely incredible. Hedina and I are seeing miracles upon miracles, and be all glory to God, we are able to be just but a little shadow in the corner to watch God's hand move. And by, by, by what I believe and what I'm hearing over the last few days and in my own relationship is that God wants more. And he wants us to be obedient and he wants us to be in repentance also. Repentance is just not a word for the Old Testament that we've got to do. It's actually turning around from that which is sin. It's coming back into agreement into God, realigning ourselves. And for us to have that power, that Holy Spirit that happened in Ratanapa 100 years ago, if we, his children, would only humble ourselves and then he would hear from us in heaven as we know those scriptures in Second Chronicles. So I actually don't know where I'm going. Praise God, the Holy Spirit, he does because my sermon's all prepared in here, but I'm speaking from my heart. And so just going a little bit about what's happening in the nation with the Māori and Pākehā. My wife has been speaking about some things. And let me give you this illustration of David and Goliath. This is the story that we might find something to, to eat, something tangible. Now, in the time of um, David and Saul, Saul had lost the anointing of God, and he was shivering with his army, and they were sitting in the valley of Sukkot. And so it says that the Israelites were sitting on one side of the valley, and on the other side of the valley, in the big low, were the Philistines. And we know that the champion, Goliath, he was speaking, he was speaking, and it said a couple of days later that this Philistine started to come up to Israel. Huh? He started to come up. So the enemy is taking territory that he is never meant to take. And for that land also, the Bible tells us, was the land of Judah also. But anyway, this young man, David, he comes full of the Holy Ghost, called of Samuel already. The Lord's already talked to Samuel about who this young man might be. Yes, it's the little shepherd boy. He comes down with this incredible desire not to pursue the giant, but to take to the giant this God that this man is pursuing. And so David says, you come to me with your javelin. I come to you with my God. And what I want to make a point of is there, there was a battle that was won there. There was a head taken. Goliath, foot, 
The Amalekites, all those guys, his head was taken. That which hinders us and becomes a stumbling block for us. Further on the track, it resembles our nation. We've become two people, Saul's party and David's party. We were Pākehā and Māori, walking the same direction and two separate paths. But the time has come, whānau, that where God, not that he might exalt one people, but that where he would show that God, if we would lower ourselves as David was, there was going to come a time, and it was not going to be about human beings, but that the nation of Israel and Judah would become one. And that's where we are at this time. But the battle was fought back there. But it's up to us to pursue the God that won that battle back there that you and I might become one. Is somebody hearing this this morning? So I want to speak to your congregation this morning and speak into the lives of the people here. Just as it was in the book of Esther, you were certainly made for such a time as this. Your uncle might not be called Mordecai, but your father is our, our father in heaven, Abba father, Jehovah Jireh. And he's calling you to take your place. For he's a respecter of no man, whether you be Chinese, African, Māori, Melanesian, Micronesian, but he is a lover of all, just not the sin. And so here we are today, Saul and David, coming together spiritually as a nation in New Zealand. And here are the prophecies that are coming across the world to New Zealand. Oh, New Zealand, you who slumber and sleep, when will you awake to that which God has called you as a nation? I don't boast in that, but I understand my purpose, your purpose, for this very time that you're in this hall even. You're on this land my wife was talking about. Yes, our land, our land, our land now. And so just to further on with that stuff, Farno. I want to say to you today, you've heard the brokenness of my wife. I've been broken too as a male man, and as a male man, even a Māori man, we're very stubborn people. We're prideful people. We come from lineage of chiefs, and chiefs have status. But I lay my status down that I might be a servant for the Most, God, most High God. And so for us as men and fathers, I don't know what your weakness might be. You might not have done the left and right with your wife. Whatever Satan attacks you with, he might call you as a shortfall to say you're not this and not that, hinders you from even just living life in itself, life in abundance with freedom. I come, I ask you to come. I speak to you, woman, that have resonated with my wife this morning. You might not have known the beaten, but even isolation in itself, not living the life that you know there's a purpose for you, I ask you to come. I ask you for my brothers and sisters that just may have done church. Some of you might be on the peripherals and say, Lord, I've called out to you for all my life and you haven't turned up. Well, that day has come. I'm not God, but I'm a servant of him and I will speak on behalf of my master that you might come. I might ask for those of you that are in this place to think, well, what is my significance? I'm in this place. I feel a part of this family. Would you come in and be prayed for? So as we ask the worship team to come up, I know it's really quick. But for the elders of this place, and for myself even, I'm needing prayer as well. I thank the Lord for the incredible testimony this morning of the sister who had a sore back. 
Praise God for as often as we get across the nation and, and further abroad overseas with my wife and I, the last couple of months I've found myself crawling, sister, crawling to the pulpit sometimes. And very embarrassing, but I know that my Father has set a purpose before me. And I thank God for the testimony in you that I might come in this place and be able to grab the garment of Christ who is still walking between us. And that in his love, he would turn around and say, he touched me. If that's you this morning, you're in need to touch the garment of Christ, whatever that might look like. You might not have been bleeding for 12 years, but you might have certainly been lonely and lost for 12 years. I ask you to come. If you've come in here this morning as a visitor, as a friend, and you haven't known who this man is, this Christ, Son of God, who he is. For God so loved the world that he sent his Son, that whoever should believeth in him should not perish. And then it goes on to say, for he did not send him into the world that it might be condemned, but through Jesus Christ, this incredible Savior that we've come this morning, that you and I might be saved. So if that's you in any man or any way, we all need prayer. I'm going to start with me. Won't you come? Won't you come? Thank you, Father. Let's stand, shall we? Just stand and respond. Sam will just lead us in a song. But as he does, if you know that you felt God just tapping you on the shoulder, knocking on the door of your heart, then let's be really responsive. Won't say any more than that. If you know you need to come, then you come. Thank you, Lord.